Well, as we continue our study through the book of Psalms, tonight I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 52, the book of Psalms, and tonight we will be looking to the entirety of Psalm 52. And looking to the title of this psalm, we find the context through which the words of this psalm was penned. Psalm 52, to the chief musician, Meskel, a psalm of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. And this specific occasion that the title of the psalm is referencing is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. In 1 Samuel 21 and 22, we read that Doag, one of Saul's chief servants, observes David seeking help from Ahimelech the priest, which leads to Doag informing Saul regarding David's whereabouts. If you are familiar with the narrative of David's life, you will remember that after David slew Goliath, he became a hunted man by Saul. Saul became hysterical in his jealousy of David, to say the least. And Saul desired nothing more than for David to be killed, which inevitably caused David to flee for his life from the presence of Saul. And in the course of his life, wandering in the wilderness, seeking to have his life preserved, as David was passing by the town of Nob, which became known as the city of priests, because many priests ministered in the service to the Lord there, David approached Ahimelech for provisions in his travels. So as David was fleeing the wilderness, he was not fleeing with a U-Haul truck. He was not fleeing with several donkeys and carts behind those donkeys with all of his belongings. He was fleeing for his life, remaining wherever he could and seeking provisions from whomever he could. And so he comes to Nob, he approaches Ahimelech for provisions within his travels, which leads then to Ahimelech gifting David with five loaves of showbread, as well as the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom David had killed. Now, all of this may not seem like a significant problem, except that David's interactions with Ahimelech and Ahimelech's kindness toward David was eyed by Doag the Edomite, who was Saul's chief servant. And then this leads to one of the most evil acts of men that is recorded in Scripture. And because of the interaction between David and Ahimelech, Saul thought Ahimelech the priest was in alliance with David, conspiring against him, which then led Saul to believe that all the priests were somehow involved in conspiring against the throne. And this then leads to Saul ordering all of the priests in the city of Nob to be killed at once. So Saul commands the priests of Nob to be killed, 
And when Saul's guards refuse to raise their swords against the priests because they are priests, Scripture records that Saul then turns to Doeg the Edomite and commands him to kill all of the priests of the land. And this is exactly what takes place. Doeg the Edomite slew in one day 85 priests as well as all the people in the city of Nob, including men, women, children, babies, and livestock. And when David heard all that Doeg did, under the divine inspiration of God, he penned the words of this psalm. Psalm 52 is David's response to Doeg's evil acts. It is his contemplation of the mass murder that occurred in the city of priests. Psalm 52. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. The tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Selah. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. Now, dividing the psalm into two parts, I want us to take notice of the contrast that David makes between Doag and himself, which is a distinction between the wicked and the righteous. In this psalm, I see God once again emphasizing truths that distinguish the ways of the ungodly and the ways of the righteous. We find those who are outside of Christ and how they live, and those who are in Christ and how they live. We have a comparison, a contrast between those who are of the world and those who are called out of the world, those who are of their father, the devil, and those who are the true children of God. And once again, let me reiterate that such a gospel contrast is distinctly emphasized and interwoven throughout the whole of the Bible. The whole of Scripture depicts for us two kinds of people that are in the world. There are only two. It's not male and female. It's not rich and poor. It's not educated or uneducated. It's not Republican or Democrat. From Genesis 4 onward, we find that there are people who are like Abel 
of the line of the righteous who are justified by faith in Christ, or there's the line of Cain, which is the line of the unrighteous who think that their works are sufficient to justify them before God. Go two chapters past Genesis 4, we find the two people again. Beginning in Genesis 6, 6 through 9, we have the story of the ark. There are those who are in the ark, which is a picture of Christ, saved from the judgment outside of the ark. And then we have the mockers and the scoffers who taste the judgment of God because they are outside of the ark. And then throughout the history of Israel, we have a depiction between those who are of God's covenant people and those who are of the world. The proverb speaks of the ways of the wise and the ways of the foolish. Jesus talks about the tree rooted in him, producing good fruits. And then Jesus speaks of those who are not rooted in him who produce evil fruits. There are those who merely hear God's word, who are building their lives on the sand, and then there are those who hear and obey God's word, building their lives on the rock. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like unto ten virgins, which took lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Here's the distinction again. Five of them were wise, they took oil, and five were foolish and took no oil. This is the distinction that we looked at in 2 Peter chapter 1. Those who are of true faith, and those who have false faith. There are the Pharisees and Jesus' true disciples. Either we're walking on the straight and narrow path leading to heaven or on the broad path that leads to destruction. Either we've received Christ or we are rejecting Him. Either we are dead in sin or dead to sin. There's no third option. There's no part Christian. There's no somewhat believer. There's no kind of disciple in Christ. Either you are born again or you are without life. Either you are a true possessor of faith or you are merely a phony professor of faith. Either you are regenerated or religious. Either you are among the ungodly or the godly. This is the theme of the psalm. In Psalm 52, we find God giving us a description of the lost through the description of Doag, and then God giving us the response of the believer through the description of David. Cut the psalm in half. Actually, we cut the psalm beginning in verse 8. The first seven verses describe Doag and his actions, what it means to be among the ungodly. And in verses 8 and 9, we have a description of the godly through David's life. So looking at it further, we find in the first seven verses, God through David painting a portrait of what the ungodly are like. If you're taking notes, I've entitled my first point, The Picture of the Ungodly. The Picture of the Ungodly. And under this first heading, I want to point out four glaring characteristics of those who are ungodly, those who do not know God, those who are described in the Bible as the unrighteous, unregenerate. And the first characteristic recorded for us in Psalm 52 is the fact that the ungodly are arrogant boasters. This is subpoint number one. The ungodly are arrogant boasters. Verse one. 
David says regarding Doeg, the Edomite who has done this wicked thing in the sight of the Lord. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief? Notice that phrase, thou thyself. Why have you sought the preeminence? Why have you sought to act in the place of God taking life? Why boastest thou thyself in mischief? And through David's contemplation of Doeg, we learn that the ungodly are people who are proud. They are people who think highly of themselves. In fact, they are people who are in love with themselves. And this is shown through their boasting of self. When you look at the ungodly, the unregenerate, the unrighteous, the motto of their life often is, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at how good I am, look at how strong I am, look at how wise I am. It's all me, 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 my, 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 rather than God, 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 Christ, Christ, Christ. Which is really the spirit of Lucifer. Remember, Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend unto the heaven." I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. It was all about him. The attitude of the ungodly is, I'm going to do what I want to do, and no one is going to stop me, not even God. Do you think Doag, the Edomite, sought the counsel of the Lord before he slew 85 priests? Is this your will, God? And do you think the ungodly seek the will of the Lord as they continue in their sinfulness? The answer is no. This is characteristic number one. The ungodly are arrogant boasters. Arrogant boasters. Characteristic number two, the ungodly are a people of mischief. They are a people of mischief. Verse one, why boastest thou thyself in mischief? Verse two, thy tongue deviseth mischiefs. And the word mischief here can be translated to evil or malicious acts. And you will notice the repetitive mentioning of the tongue and the words of the ungodly as it is referred to mischief. The ungodly are those who speak lies. The ungodly are those who are contentious with their speech. The ungodly are those who speak deceit. Double-tongued are they. They don't speak truth. They don't delight in that which is right. They are those who love devouring words. Their word is like a fire, like a sword that cuts. They have a dishonest tongue. And this singular truth is echoed through the whole of Proverbs. Again, the wise and the foolish, the converted and the unconverted. It's the the righteous, the wise who know Christ, who are careful to use their tongue aright. And on the contrary, it's the foolish, those whose hearts have not been changed, who use their tongue to say whatever they want, however they want. They don't care about the effects of their tongue. Paul speaks of the sinful nature of the tongue, Romans chapter 3. 
The Apostle James speaks of it in James chapter 3, and then Jesus mentions it in Matthew 15. Those who have an evil tongue demonstrate that they have an evil heart. How do we know this? We know this because Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the life lives. Paul describes the ungodly man in Romans 3 as someone whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Think of the two thieves on the cross. Here it is again. Cut it in half. Ungodly and godly. The ungodly man was blaspheming the name of Christ as he hung within feet of the Messiah. If you are the Christ, get us down from the cross. Surely you are not the Christ because you do not care for our physical bodies. And the other with his tongue said, Lord, remember me. You are the Christ. I believe. So this is the characteristic of the ungodly. Characteristic number two, the ungodly are a people of mischief. They devise mischief in their hearts. They speak mischief with their mouth. They execute mischievous deeds through the actions of their life. And characteristic number three is found in verses three and four. And it is this, the ungodly are lovers of sin more than lovers of God and lovers of good. The ungodly are lovers of sin more than lovers of God and lovers of good. Verse 3, thou lovest evil more than good. Verse 4, thou lovest all devouring word. And it's important to understand under this third point that lost people not merely perform acts of sin, because of their sin nature. No, lost people perform acts of sin because they are in love with sin. They're married to it. They have an affection for that which is ungodly and righteous. And they have such an affection because the Bible tells us they are spiritually blind. They're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, Paul says. This is why they call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light. The world loves getting drunk. No shame in it. No embarrassment. The world loves getting high. They love the satisfaction that they get from their fornicating and adulterous acts. The love of the world is found within the love and affection of perverse, vile, satanic music. You see, lost people act like lost people because they don't have a heart that loves God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. The way of peace have they not known. They have a heart that loves sin. And if you've been truly regenerated tonight, you know that this is true because that's what you loved before you came to Christ. You didn't love God. Oh, you might have an outward respect for God and for Christians, but you didn't love Him in your heart. You didn't care what His Word said. You were too busy drinking down iniquity like water. But the ungodly do the devil's works because they are of the devil. The ungodly are lovers of sin more than lovers of God and good. Do you want to understand the ways of our world? 
If you want to interpret the news in a way that's helpful, here it is. They're lovers of sin, more than lovers of God and good, because they are in sin. That's all they know. Their nature has not been changed. Characteristic number four, the ungodly are idolaters of riches. They are idolaters of riches. Or said another way, they are worshipers of money. Verse 7, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Do you want to understand what makes people do the wicked things that they do in this world? Put it in one word, money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And attached to money is fame, position, the acceptance of man. Just think of the politicians. Think of the drug dealers. Think of the prostitutes, the pimps, rock and rollers, rappers, hip-hoppers. Think of the Hollywood actors and actresses the successful businessmen, corrupt doctors, and even the man within our own city who has lots of money in the bank, a beautiful home, and nice sports cars in the garage, the ungodly are of the persuasion that they don't need God because they already have everything they need to be satisfied. Have you ever heard that in evangelistic effort? I don't need what you're telling me. Look it. I have all that my heart could ever want. Now, we can't say for sure, but it's very likely that Doag did what he did for money. And if not for money, surely it was for a position and for greater respect of the king. If the other servants would not lift up their sword to these priests, Doag thought, well, if this gains me a favor to be sought well in the sight of my king, I'll do it. I'll do whatever I need to do to get his approval. It's very probable that Saul bribed Doag to do what he did to the priests for money. And this is exactly what drives sinners to do what they do. Money is their God. Money is their satisfaction. Money is their hope. Money is their ambition. Money is their life. Didn't you learn that after COVID already? Pfizer, Dr. Fauci, follow the money. Now, within the first Breaking of COVID, we thought, what is this? But the more we saw through things, the evil acts through money. Rather than serving God, the wicked serve mammon. And again, the distinction, you cannot serve God and mammon. Cut it in half. For either you will love the one and hate the other. Rather than serving God, the wicked serve mammon. And then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things entering into their heart, distract them from God and choke out the life of the word. It leads them straight to hell. These are the four characteristics of the ungodly. Number one, they are arrogant boasters. They are people of mischief. They are lovers of sin more than lovers of God and good. 
They are idolaters of riches. They are worshipers of money. And I don't have this in my notes, but let me just say, do not align yourself with such people. Do not make friendship with such evil people. You are to come out of the world and be separate. You are to find Christian friends, not ungodly friends. Oh, but I might affect them for Christ, not by becoming more and more like the world, not by becoming more sinful. You affect the world for Christ by becoming more holy. Have I given you the illustration? Just spray two squirts of perfume on your shirt. Go down to the rescue mission, 5th and Crocker, downtown L.A., and give a man down there who hasn't taken a bath for weeks a hug. And then go smell each one. Do you think the homeless man is going to smell like your perfume? Or do you think you might smell like that man who hasn't bathed and been living on the streets? We don't reach the world by becoming like the world. We reach the world by becoming like Christ. What did Paul say? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. They corrupt good morals. Be careful of who your friends are. Be careful of what you allow into your life. The doegs are out there. They will lead you down a dark and destructive path. Now contrasting the actions of Doeg with David, which depicts the ways of the righteous, beginning in verse 8, I want you to notice the four characteristics of the godly. So we see the characteristics of the ungodly in Doeg. Now let's look at David. And what God says of David through this psalm and consider the characteristics of the godly. David says, verse number 8, but, and there's the transitional word. There's the distinctive differentiating word spoken that cuts him off from Doeg. But as opposed to Doag, as opposed to the evil men of this world, David says, under the inspiration of God, he's not bragging on himself. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. And here David gives us the first characteristic of the godly. Number one, the godly are a people who trust in the saving mercy of God. The godly are a people who trust in the saving mercy of God. They don't trust in themselves. They don't trust in their goodness. They don't trust in their worthiness. They don't trust in their religious works. They don't trust in their religious affiliation. They don't trust in others. They don't trust in what others can do for them to make them right with God. They trust in the mercy of God. They trust in God's compassionate, gracious provision of a Savior. Look at the righteous know that it is not by works of righteousness, which we have done or do, but according to God's mercy and his mercy alone that saves us. This distinguishes the ungodly from the godly. The godly are godly because the mercy of God has saved them. This is characteristic number one. The godly are people who trust in the saving mercy of God. Let me remind you, here it is again. Two people, cut it in half. 
Look at them side by side. The Pharisee trusting in himself. I'm not like as other men are. Comparison. The publican who would not lift up so much his eyes saying, God be what? You got it, merciful. God be propitious to me, the sinner. He's not boasting. You see the contrast again? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. The godly are people who trust in the saving mercy of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Characteristic number two, the godly are people who are spiritually fruitful. They're spiritually fruitful. What does David say? In contrast to Doag, he says, I am like a green olive tree. And David is saying, unlike the God, ungodly, unlike Doag, whose leaf withers and like the chaff, the wind drives it away, being rooted in Christ, I am like a green olive tree. I'm like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Unlike the one Peter describes as spiritually blind and barren, having life from above, I'm growing in the faith. My life is producing the fruit of the Spirit. Not perfectly, but persistently. There's the difference between the ungodly and the godly. The ungodly are not rooted in Christ. They're not abiding in the vine. They haven't been engrafted. So they produce evil fruit. The godly are rooted in Christ. And they produce good fruit in time. Some differ in that fruit, but they will produce fruit. They will bring fruits worthy of repentance. Characteristic number three, David emphasizes the truth that the godly are a people who have a desire to worship God. They have a desire to worship God. Verse eight, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God, the place where God is worshiped, the place where God is adored, the place where other believers go. In Psalm 92, 12 and 13, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Who are the godly? They are those who have a true affection and sincere longing to worship God where God's people meet to worship. Now, that's not the singular characteristic of their life, but it is one of many characteristics that shows the true faith of the believer. And you will notice that connected with this is the desire to praise God, not just for time, but forever. Look at verse 9. I will praise thee forever, David says, because thou hast done it. David does not say, I will praise thee until I'm 18, and then I'm moving out of the house and done with this Christianity. David does not say, I will praise thee if everything just goes smooth in my life. David does not say, I will only praise thee as long as my friends tell me to go to church and my pastor calls and texts me to make sure that I'm worshiping God. No, David says, I will praise thee forever because you, Lord, have been good to me. Who are the godly? The godly are a people who have a desire to worship God in spirit and in truth, individually and publicly. 
The godly were known, Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost, for their communing one with another. And then finally, the godly are people who boast in the goodness of God despite all the evil that takes place in the world. The godly are people who boast, not in themselves, right? That's the ungodly. What did Paul say? If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in this one thing, in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. The ungodly boast in themselves. The ungodly boast in their sin. The ungodly boast in the fleeing things of this life. The godly boast in God. Jumping back up to verse 1, David says, The goodness of God endures. How long? Okay, now pause. Take a time out. Did David just forget that 85 priests have been slaughtered? Did, did David have a lapse in his memory that he's being hunted by Saul? He could be a dead man any day doing... For, for what? For what did he do? He did the will of God taking down Goliath with great bravery and courage. He said, my God will help me. It wasn't out of self-effort. It wasn't out of arrogance. David didn't even want to go to Goliath. It was God providentially sending the shepherd boy to Goliath under the divine counsel of God. What did David do? He did the same thing that the three Hebrew boys did. Nothing. Except doing the will of God. Following the Lord, just like Daniel. The godly are people who boast in the goodness of God despite the evil that takes place in this world. How can David say the goodness of God endures forever? He can say this because he knows, verse 5, that God is sovereign and God in His sovereignty will in His own way and in His own time judge those who are ungodly. David knows, verse 5, that the ungodly will be destroyed. They will be taken away. They will be plucked out of their dwelling place. They will be rooted out of the land of the living. They will be judged for their sin against God. The ungodly will not get away with their sin. Their candle shall be put out. Dwell on this. What differentiates the godly from the ungodly, the righteous from the unrighteous, the true Christian from the false Christian? Here it is. When calamity strikes, their faith remains. Remember the parable of the sower? Some receive the gospel for a time, but then trouble comes. And that trouble shows whether they're not in Christ, whether they are in Christ or not. We looked at this truth last Sunday morning. The evidence of a true believer is perseverance. And it's not our perseverance that saves. It's God's preservation within our perseverance that keeps us. We're kept by the power of God, not by our performance. So we persevere because the Spirit is in us. The just man falls seven times, but we get up again because Christ and His mercy is there to pick us up. That's the only way we persevere. But like Job, here it is. Enter David's word, Job chapter 1. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of God. 
And listen, this is not a personality thing. Well, these, just, these guys just had a, a great personality. They just had a strong personality that allowed them to endure, like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Esther, and Peter, and John. And It's not their personality. The Holy Spirit within them. Living faith within them. You see, the godly praise God all the time. They don't praise God perfectly. Did Job praise God perfectly? No. Did he have his fear and doubts? Yes. Was he human? Yes. But we still find those declarations. He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I know that my Redeemer lives. I've esteemed thy word more than my necessary foods. You see, there's the flame. The flame continues. It doesn't cast away. And if anybody had reason to forsake their faith, surely it was Job. What about Joseph? Same story. What did he do wrong? Oh, he was given a dream. He was proud. Give me a break. God gave that dream to him. God gave that revelation, and it, became, it came true. That was a revelation that God worked in the life of Joseph. Don't blame him with evil when the Bible doesn't blame him for evil. He persevered. He trusted in God. Men meant this for evil. God meant it for good. Romans 8.28 This is the rock of the believer. The, the righteous know that God has a way of working evil for good. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He will repay. The believer, the righteous know that God is good all the time. And this is not just some cheap hobby lobby phrase that we throw on a cup. This is the reality of their heart. This is the anchor of their faith. God is good all the time. This is how we differentiate the righteous from the unrighteous. Churchgoers from Christians. The ungodly from the godly. Those who have true faith. Those who have counterfeit faith. And let me just close by having us recognize that even, even moral, religious, prayerful, church-going people who profess faith in Christ with their lips are described in the Bible as ungodly. Why do I say this? I say this because sometimes there can be this false idea floating around in our mind that the ungodly that I've just depicted from this psalm are the Hamas terrorists. The ungodly are Satanists. They're the members of the mafia. They're child abusers. They're sex traffickers. They're crooked politicians. They are the drunkards in the bar. They're drug addicts. But certainly not kind, modest people who go to church and profess God. Many times we think profession of God and going to church is the determining factor of salvation. Going to church, professing faith, is what makes someone a Christian. Well, take these four characteristics of the ungodly and think about them in the context of lost religious people in the Bible. Think of the Pharisees. Think of the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? They were, catch it, arrogant boasters. They went to synagogue every Sabbath. They knew the scripture. They prayed. They fasted. They dressed modestly. They, they did everything they can to be moral. They were arrogant boasters. 
They were those who trusted in their external righteousness. Jesus says, whose hearts were full of wickedness. Think of Judas. Though Judas played the part of a disciple of Christ, he was a man of mischief. Mischief. Devising in his mind a plan to betray the Son of God. And he did this for what? Filthy lucre. For money. His heart loved money more than God. Think of the rich young ruler. Come on, help me out. These are church-going people. Here was a religious, prayerful, moral man, catch it, who boasted in himself that he has kept the commandments from his youth up. I grew up in church. I went to Christian school. I was a part of the youth group. He was a boastful, proud man, full of himself, who loved the love of God or loved the love of money more than God. This is why Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. With men, this is impossible. Man can't change his own heart, but with God, all things are possible. How about those Jesus describes in Matthew 7? Those who say Jesus is their Lord, they preach in his name. They've done many wonderful works. Jesus says they belong to the wicked because they are, catch it, habitual workers of iniquity. How about false teachers? Wolves in sheep's clothing. They fit in among God's people, don't they? How many disciples warn about false teachers who are among us? False teachers who are among the assembly, and yet through their covetousness and their feigned words, they make what? Merchandise of others. Turn on TBN. You buy this ointment, you'll be healed. Meanwhile, they're living in mansions, driving sports cars. You see, this is not about those who go to church and those who don't. This is not about those who profess to know God with their lips and those who don't. It's not about even being nice or dressing modest and those who don't. Salvation is a matter of God making one righteous by the power of the Spirit. So holding up these characteristics of the text, again, I ask you tonight, has your heart been changed? Have you been born again? What do the actions of your life define you as? Do they define you as one who knows Christ only mentally or one who is known of Christ spiritually and personally? Do the actions of your life prove to be one who has a genuine relationship with God or one who just has religion? What I'm asking is, are you more like Doeg? Or David? That's the question. The difference between Doag and David, what is it? Conversion. The grace of God. Christ. That's the difference. If you truly belong to Christ, you know this is the only thing that separates you from the world. Yes? It's not you. It's Christ, His mercy, His grace, His love, His compassion. We love Him because He first loved us. Here in His love, not that we loved God. No, we were like Doeg. We may not have slain priests with our fists, 
But in our hearts, in our minds, we hated ministers of the gospel. We hated God's people. The difference between the righteous and the wicked. The difference between those who know Christ and those who don't. The difference between the Christian and the world is the motto of Paul. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's it. And if you add anything else to that, you don't know the gospel. If you say, yes, it's God, but mm, it's me too. You don't know what biblical salvation is. It's only the gospel. It's only grace. It's only Christ. That's the difference between the righteous and the wicked. God's unmerited favor. And know that such favor can be given to you if you turn to him by faith. The Doegs can be saved if they repent and believe the gospel. What? Such a wicked man can be saved? Saul of Tarsus was a Doeg. Who is it? King Manasseh? Wicked man? Wicked king? Cried out to God for mercy? Nebuchadnezzar's heart humbled? That's it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. Of whom I am chief. In, in essence, Paul is saying, I am Doeg. I persecuted the church of God. I thought I was saved. I thought I was a Christian. And yet he humbled me, showed me mercy, changed my heart. That's it. So church, don't get high-minded. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Nothing in our hands we bring. Only to the cross we cling.